This episode of Manage Smarter is brought to you by SalesFuel Sales Manager Training. Based on the Sales Manager's Guide to Greatness, it's a 36-lesson on-demand program to upskill your sales manager so they can execute your vision and drive consistent revenue growth. Watch a free lesson and find out more at salesfuel.com SMT. Welcome to the Manage Smarter Podcast with hosts C. Lee Smith and Audrey Strong. We're glad you're here for discussions on new ways to manage smarter, hire, develop, and retain talent, improve results, and propel team performance to new heights. This is the Manage Smarter Podcast. Come in. Welcome to Manage Smarter, everyone. Thank you for tuning in. And if you're new to the show, I'm Audrey Strong, the Vice President of Communications here at SalesFuel. And I'm C. Lee Smith. I'm the president and CEO of SalesFuel. So whether or not you're managing a sales team that, that's selling medical devices or pharma, or, you know, if you're just, just your sales team or whatever is confused or, you know, has issues in, you know, with their benefits and everything like that, we've got a great show for you today. Yeah. Even I was saying we were going to talk about benefits too. And um, our uh, guest today is Ed Eichhorn. Hey, Ed, thanks for coming. It's great to meet you, sir. Well, it's great to be with you today. Ed is a successful healthcare executive and entrepreneur, as you will find out, and consults for medical societies and healthcare healthcare organizations through his company. It's called MetaLink Consulting Group. He's the co-author of Healing American Healthcare, a book that describes a universal healthcare plan for the U.S. that would actually save our country about a trillion bucks, give or take some change, right? (laughs) And Ed recently founded the Healing American Healthcare Coalition to keep healthcare professionals informed on the important research and industry news. And so you're really an expert in this massive landscape. I mean, one of the things that we wanted to talk about with is the managing of benefits and how managers and companies can maybe, if you've got some tips on how to save the company money. Yeah, I mean, especially when the managers are having to have difficult conversations with employees because the benefits mm-hmm. programs have changed as they tend to do every year about, you know, at the start of the year, but and especially in light of pandemic and cost cutting and everything like that, uh, that's something the managers have to deal with. Uh, absolutely. Uh, it's a real challenge because Uh, For companies that provide insurance for their employees, which is uh, more than 150 million uh, covered lives now, Mm. the largest section actually of healthcare, it is interesting because there are usually uh, very small numbers of regional competitors for their business. Um, When I was uh, dealing with that uh, a great deal, um, I would uh, hire a broker, he would come in, analyze our our employee uh, cost structure and and what our uh, use of healthcare was, and he would always come back with the same healthcare provider every year because mm-hmm. that was pretty much the only one we could uh, do business with here uh, in New Jersey, uh, and, and get a, a reasonable deal. And they face great challenges because, as you know, um, the copays have gone up uh, uh, quite a bit over the last few years, and the average cost to insure a family um, is generally around twenty thousand dollars now. Um, the biggest thing that came up very recently is uh, it was learned how much insurance brokers were being paid to bring the business in. And companies can go and ask about that factor. Hmm. They're paid three to 6% of the package. Wow. Plus if they do really well, they can get six figure bonuses from the insurance company uh, for their performance. So an area to ask about is certainly uh how the coverage compensation uh, occurs and what is paid to the insurance broker that represents the insurance company for uh, the employer. 
So if you're a sales manager, you've got, you've got a salesperson and, you know, they have, you know, concerns or they're upset about uh, the health insurance program that it can be very tempting for the sales manager to just to boot that to HR and say, you know, you go talk to them, they handle all the benefits stuff and like that. Uh, I, I think that you miss an, you might miss an opportunity there to, to show some empathy and, and some caring for your, your employees for, for some of the stuff that they're going through right at that time. Wouldn't you think? Well, yeah, you know, I, I think a basic selling skill that we might agree with and, and a basic management skill is listening. And I think um, in managing a team, you need to listen to understand what their concerns are. And it's perfectly fine to send them to HR once you know what their concerns are in healthcare, so that when you have management meetings, you can bring that message back to management and say, this is what is concerning our team. And, you know, um, Healthcare costs can be high, but uh, turnover is a very high cost. Mm-hmm. And if you have uh, really good sales professionals within your organization and you're losing some of them be, uh, over the issue of benefits as well as other things, that's a high cost. So did you bring that up because I, I have in front of me a study that was done by the Society of Human Resources. Uh, and 56% of U.S. adults with employer-sponsored health benefits said that whether or not they like their health coverage is a key factor in deciding to stay at their current job. Mm-hmm. 46% said health insurance was either the deciding factor or a positive influence on choosing their current job. Mm-hmm. Is that overstated or you think that sounds about right? No, I think it's about right. And, and in mm. some industries, you know, we have between three and six million openings in the United States and healthcare uh, in those industries uh, can be a deciding factor as to whether or not someone wants to go to work in that company. Uh, the reason we wrote our plan in part was because we thought costs were too high and we needed to provide more choice and more flexibility. A study that I often quote during the uh, campaign for Democrats to uh, you know, compete for the presidency was done uh, by um, 538.com. And what they did was they went to uh, Democratic registered voters and they said, uh, are you in favor of Medicare for all? of them said they were until they realized it impacted choice. And the number in favor of Medicare for all dropped to 38%. And the final analysis was even though 70% of them were in favor of Medicare for all, 88% of them said, I want to keep my own health care, whether we have Medicare for all or not. So choice in healthcare is a very important issue uh, that we all want in uh, what our coverage might be and also who cares for us. So I, I think as we go forward, employers need to have a way to embrace choice. And in, in our healthcare plan that we wrote about in Healing American Healthcare, we described what we called an all-care plan. And in that plan, we suggest that all employers should provide healthcare coverage uh, as they do in Germany and Netherlands, Switzerland, and a few other nations, uh, but that they could have choice. The employers could be self-insured, use private insured, or use the all-care plan that we priced out based on Medicare, that would reduce their cost by as much as 30%. Um, And we think the national discussion on healthcare um, should be uh, revitalized uh, during the current administration in the new Congress, because I think it's time uh, for us to move to a universal healthcare plan that people can accept. And it addresses some of the uh, things we've learned during the pandemic that are longstanding issues that need to help people who are employed, but don't have healthcare through their employers. Interesting. What other aspects of the pandemic have been affected uh, that are different in the system for employers and employees? 
Well, you know, I, I think there are cost issues that need to be um, determined because in some cases, um, the uh, injections for the vaccine are, are covered nationally. And sometimes there's a bill that comes up for that. Uh, and another important thing uh, that's just been in the news recently is some physician practices begin to buy equipment for testing for the virus. And, you know, the reason they bought it was you could go to the doctor, not feel well, be tested and in 15 minutes, you would have a result that said you may have the virus. And it turns out insurance companies are only reimbursing them for 50% of the cost of the reagents. It oh. costs about $40 for the reagents and they're getting paid $20. So physicians are, are not using the equipment they bought because they can't make it pay. Things like that need to be addressed so that uh, we can have a better uh, way of tracking the virus. And the more you track it, the, you know, the more you can figure out where it came from and the more you can do to um, deal with coverage and vaccination and special you know, efforts uh, that may be needed in a town or in a region. So I think things like that are being learned as people um, go forward to try to treat patients for uh, potentially having the virus. And, you know, getting the vaccine out more rapidly than we are now in, in the states that we all live in is, is really an important factor to bring this under control and to bring business back to normal for so many companies. Regardless of your policy preferences, healthcare is almost certain to be brought up over the next couple of years mm -hmm. uh, in Congress and in and, and Washington, D.C. Uh, and certainly the, the folks in pharma, uh, the salespeople there, whatever, have uh, already encountered numerous changes to how they have to do business. They can't do the lunch and learns. They're only allowed to say certain things and, mm -hmm. uh, and, and so on. Like, given what you've think might be on the horizon for healthcare, like how will that impact the sales staffs of, of medical devices, medical imaging, medical services, pharma going ahead, you think? Well, I, I, I think the sales aspect uh, for uh, sales reps in pharma might not change a great deal. However, like you said, lunch and learns are, are, are not part of the uh, field anymore. Uh, I think uh, there are basic issues in how pharma prices some of the things that it sells. In 1983, we got a great law called the Orphan Drug Act. And that means that pharmaceutical companies would be encouraged to develop medications that uh, impact less than 200,000 people around the world. And more than 300 uh, drugs have been developed. And a number have actually been found to have an application um, uh, as an orphan drug. The problem is that since 1983, the cost of these drugs has gone up by a factor of 64 times. Wow. So um, today, the seven most expensive drugs are actually hepatitis C drugs, mostly. And um, they cost fifty dollars to $80,000 a month for a course of treatment that could go on for three months. Um, those kinds of things need to be addressed in a way uh, that makes them a little bit more affordable. And if you make drugs a little bit more affordable, you also lower the cost of, of regular insurance because their cost of pharmaceuticals will go down a bit. Um, the other thing uh, I think that's important in this area is whether or not the nation uh, during the, this Congress, which would be very, very difficult, will move towards um, a national um, drug negotiation uh, process. Um, all the other democracies in the world have that. We don't. Um, and because we don't, we pay uh, two and a half times more for uh, pharmaceuticals that are, uh, you know, uh, patent protected pharmaceuticals than the rest of the world does. 
And we don't use any more than we do. We just pay more for what we use. It's not like uh, we are treated differently. Uh, so those kinds of things will affect the industry. But I believe that uh, pharmaceutical sales reps will still go and call on doctors. We'll still, you know, make presentations about what's available. But I think the price points are going to change it. And um, uh, that could uh, certainly change their compensation in some way. But I, I think nationally, we need uh, something like that to impact a whole number of, of uh, medications that are sold. Put a percentage on it for me. It's like, because we've, been, we've heard about this through the Obama administration, through the Trump administration, and now the Biden administration. Uh, I, I think I remember even hearing George W. Bush talking about, about this kind of thing. I was like, why is it that this has not been able to happen? Because it seems so common sense. Well, um, having worked for medical societies in the past and, and have been a strate uh, strategist for their lobbyists, I think that's part of where the issue is. Uh, the pharmaceutical industry has over 880 uh, lobbyists. Uh, there's 330 more lobbyists than there are senators and members of the House of uh, uh, Representatives. And um, when Obamacare was being um, thought through by the Congress, um, and I was advising medical societies at that time, um, there was a lobbyist meeting with um, a, a congressional office, every congressional office, every 15 minutes. There was more money spent on lobbying during that quarter than any other quarter in, in our history. So I think um, legislators, lawmakers are under a lot of pressure uh, when they receive uh, a number of highly educated lobbyists who bring a lot of data for them that represents the point of view of their employer or the uh, company they're representing. So I, I think it's a, uh, an important real challenge uh, to figure out how to address this in a reasonable way. You know, there are three or four states now that are working to import drugs from Canada. And um, they are probably going to start doing that. And that will come in at a lower price. So I believe pharmaceutical companies will look at that since people will be buying drugs that they manufacture either in the United States or abroad and getting them at a lower price in relatively large amounts that will cause them to think about their pricing if they want to sell the drugs domestically. What's the, uh, which, which states I'm curious are those? Do you happen to know? Uh, New England is, is uh, several states in New England. Oh, okay. Colorado is uh, thinking about that as well. Interesting. And the negotiations, basically Canada is saying we are willing to do this, but we're not going to compromise availability of these drugs for our, our citizens. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. And the pharmaceutical viewpoint is uh, we don't think it's safe to import drugs from other countries. Now, in my view, if it was manufactured and admit the quality standards of the company and um, was able to be used internationally, why couldn't you use it here? Why would it be unsafe? Right? It seems to me that they're kind of indicating then that the, that, that the product of theirs that you buy and at a foreign country is not equivalent in quality to the, the, the product that you have in this country. And that's very concerning to me, actually. <laughs> Well, I just don't think it's true. <laughs> I don't think it's true it's in either. A sealed <laughs> I don't package. think it's true. Either. I mean, it's it's in a sealed marked package. Sure. It's you're just talking about the arbitrary border of a line that this is Canada and this is this. It's the same product. Sure. Um, sure. Question for you: the the um, three to six percent broker issue. So we we forgot to give our listeners a tip. What is the tip? Shop around for a broker that takes a lower cut. Uh, well, shop around and ask what they're paid. Yeah. You know? So that allows you to, to shop around on that, uh, on that aspect. So that might be a bit lower for you. Sure. Okay. 
So you're also an expert in managing very large organizations. As you said, I've got it jotted down here on my <laughs> handy dandy notes, mobile medical testing centers, a big network and a whole bunch of imaging centers. And so mm-hmm. I would love for you to tell our viewers and listeners a little bit more about your tips on managing very complex, large organizations. How, how much territory did you have that you were oversight? Um, the lower 48. Um, oh, yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> wow. Okay. And uh, when we started um, our service company, we were doing medical testing. And, and uh, when we started, I, I was calling on the nephrologist nationally and, and using software products to keep notes because I was calling quite a lot of physicians to uh, promote our service. And doing that allowed me to learn how to train the sales force that we eventually developed for that company. Um, and then uh, when we, when we sold that company, um, the acquiring company had us start managing larger sales groups. So I, um, the largest sales group I managed was about 125 people. And um, it was very, very important to have very, very clear uh, meetings um, that we scheduled when we'd have a national meeting. We wanted to make sure we were working on the issues within our product portfolio that we thought should be uh, doing better in the market. We want to learn why they weren't doing as well. How can we train people to um, do a better job of presenting features and benefits and to make sure that um, everyone had the same message, message in the same way that they would internalize to bring to their region and the country. And, and and um, that, that was really important to uh, uh, making sure that the sales group uh, was able to meet the goals of the company. Um, you know, and, and naturally, we would then, uh, from those meetings, we needed feedback to senior management to say, well, this is what you want to do, but it might be really challenging for these reasons that we've learned from our colleagues that are in the market every day. So, again, I think listening and communication and, and maintaining um, uh, lines of communication is very important. I, I also, um, with the knowledge of my uh, supervisors, I would take a call from anyone. You know, any sales rep could call me and I would say, what's the issue? Let's talk with your sales manager or your uh, director um, about this. And let's make sure we, we bring it to the fore, make sure that we, um, um, you know, learn whether or not it has weight or not. And uh, that helped us to improve performance quite a bit. And, um, you know, I think making sure your colleagues trust you and, uh, are willing to work with you is really important so that you can get to the real truth of what's going on in the market. Through your consulting group, uh, I, I see that one of the areas of expertise that you have is, is involves sales compensation plan and design. Yeah. Uh, what kind of advice can you give to sales managers in about, you know, setting up the right levers for a effective sales compensation plan? Well, I think it has to um, be based upon what you want to accomplish. What is it that the, uni- uh, the universe of your or business needs to, to do? And what is most important to the company? Where does the profit come from? You know, what can you do to make sure that you're compensating their uh, sales reps in a way that is both fair uh, and also accomplishing the goals of the company? And there are a lot of things that could go into that um, in, a, in a very specific way. I, I also, uh, in some of the more complicated plans that we uh, helped to set up, we would be like an outside adjudicator. You know, a sales rep would say, I did this, I did this, I did this, and I didn't get paid. And we would say, well, okay, let's take all of 
you know what you're submitting. Let's go compare it to the plan. Let's have your you know manager in this discussion in a in as a collegial way as possible, <laughs> and and uh, you know say okay, well actually you know you didn't make the plan for this reason, or actually he did make the plan or she did make the plan. You need to pay her, you know, because um, anytime we came across a plan where it was announced. You know, people started on the plan. It was supposed to occur for a whole year, and and the company decided to change the plan uh, three months into the plan. That's not a good thing. That creates turnover because people are not going to trust the people for whom they are trying to generate sales. So, you know, I think it's very important to have a fair plan, one that does what the company wants, motivates the employees to get on uh, on the target. And then when people do a really good job and you reward them, you want everyone else to know that they did a really good job. So um, we would always make sure that when there was a national sales meeting that um, those uh, great successes were highlighted and the successful employees would be rewarded, but we'd ask them to tell everyone else how, how they were able to do so well um, so that we could, uh, you know, um, gain uh, better performance in the next cycle. Yeah, don't move the goalposts all the time. <laughs> right? yeah. People hate that. Yeah, go figure. <laughs> We've got about two minutes left, Ed. So I know that you you say that you, you know, metalinkgroup.com is your website, and then you want people to get your book and also join your coalition at healingamericanhealthcare.org, right? Can you uh, tell us a little bit about what you want people to do and what yeah. that looks like? Yeah, uh, at um, healingamericanhealthcare.org, we provide a newsletter twice a month it's called a three-minute read, and we uh, encapsulate uh, articles into that. And there's usually five very significant articles and, and perhaps a, a copy of my blog in, in that for them to read. Great. And uh, it takes three minutes to read it. Uh, we monitor 50 publications, uh, and uh, you know we write it every, every two weeks. And we also uh, have just recently started uh, Healing American Healthcare blog, where we discuss the three-minute read, and I interview physicians and other people in healthcare about uh, current topics at that time. Uh, we also publish information about how the United States compares with other nations uh, with the coronavirus on an apples-to-apples basis uh, with respect to infections and death rates so that people can see exactly where the country stands and what actions ought to be taken to improve that performance. And uh, anyone who joins our coalition gets a free e-copy of my book, Healing American Healthcare. Uh, and, um, you know, we, uh, we like to hear from our coalition members. Uh, we are uh, now preparing, um, you know, discussions of these key issues that people can uh, watch on, on YouTube or through our, our um, uh, podcast that we just started doing over the last four or five weeks. Sounds great. I, I'm going to definitely get on. I want to read about the U S versus the other international community countries. Cause I haven't, I don't think I've seen an apples to apples. So I'm anxious to see that. <laughs> We're happy to share that with you. <laughs> yeah. Thanks. Uh, this has been very informative. We appreciate your time today. It's been my pleasure to be with you and uh, best of luck and stay well. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please rate and recommend on iTunes, Overcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also get more great information at salesfuel.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.